Well, happy Labor Day. Yes, it is. <laughs> Are you laboring? Well, I am laboring for a trip. Yeah. So you're getting ready? Yes. Yeah. That is a, that's a lot of work. My wife avoids it at all costs. She hates the packing part of it, getting well, ready the, for a trip, and we'll, we'll just do everything she can to avoid it to the extent of making us late. <laughs> hates it that much. Yeah. She'd rather not pack than go on the trip. You know, <laughs> it's like, so do you just want to go and not bring anything? Can I just like buy stuff there and yeah, donate it nice, on my it? way home? Luxurious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Luxury travel. That's where. <laughs> yeah. No, actually I've been fully packed for a few days now. Actually. Oh, that's because, yeah, you were supposed to leave earlier, right? Yeah, we were supposed to leave three days prior to when we were actually leaving. But just international travel coordination stuff is a pain right now with travel visas and entry visas and all that other stuff. So we just needed to uh, get all of that. And, and that was some of it. It wasn't all of it. Obviously, some communication with clients and things like that as well. So if we would have left on the Sunday we were supposed to leave, I was still a few days packed in advanced but um that's nice it gives you a chance to remember the things you forgot to pack <laughs> absolutely and i've got like all of these like little here's like a little pouch for cords and here's one for external hard drives and extra memory cards for cameras and then i've got two cameras office camera and my camera so for documentation purposes camera one like camera two camera one camera two <laughs> exactly <laughs> but um I've been able to like whittle things down, but be quite honest with you, uh, if I had what we don't have, which we should have more often, is vacuum packing our clothing. <laughs> yeah, man, get it, get it get it smaller. Totally. Then you would never make it back home with all your stuff, though, because you wouldn't want to bring the vacuum with you. Uh, do yeah. what your wife suggests and get rid of everything there. You just get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many architects work on Labor Day. I mean, I would imagine the percentage is pretty high. Oh, I'm sure. I've been spending my entire time emailing things because if I'm going to be out of the po out of pocket at least for 24 hours worth of actual flight time, I, I'm I got to get a bunch of stuff done now. <laughs> so yeah, like you're pre-working because of the time yes. away, but I think people also pre-work because of the holiday. It's one less day during the week to oh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. stay on schedule. People don't really necessarily plan these holidays into their project schedules. And so you yeah. just got to cram more into less time or, or just work anyway. And maybe you don't get as much email on Labor Day, but you're still working away. Well, and then current, current project, the client actually has a different work week than we do. So they don't do a Monday through Friday. They have a Sunday through Thursday. Oh, interesting. And so... Is that just because they're in a different time zone for you? Like that it's our Sunday through Thursday or it's their Sunday through no, Thursday? No, no, it's it's their Sunday through Thursday. That's just that's okay. the days that they work on. Interesting. And so obviously they're like bombarding us with emails and everything else on our Sundays. <laughs> on Sunday. So you got to turn on the do not disturb. Exactly. And of course they're like, and we need everything by this time. You're like, wait, whoa, time out. You know, what yeah. did you guys not understand about a national holiday? Yeah. I don't even think our own offices understand the national holiday part of that. So they're not I mean, too far behind. Everyone tries to, but it's all in a way lip service in a way. 
It's weird how how there's this idea of Labor Day, and it really is kind of around the idea of laboring, right? And, and exactly. Doing, but now we do knowledge work, and it's not so much hard labor as far as. But you're still working. Like it's just it's like a work a holiday about work. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. It's weird. I've been working my butt off this morning too. <laughs> um, some manual labor, some knowledge work kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, just feel like I was already sweating at eight a.m. this morning. It's not. Not the coolest summer in Southern California, but it, it's not the hottest either. So I, I sh- shouldn't complain, but it's going to be a, a scorcher this week. Yeah, it's so interesting because like, there's this rift between blue-collar, like white-collar work and stuff. And I would venture a guess to say that, you know, it's like, oh, mine's physically demanding. Like, well, uh, mine's mentally demanding. Well, they're both demanding. <laughs> and, they're, yeah. and they're both like, you know, taxing where one's going to have a physical breakdown, one's going to have a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I like to balance them. So that I get the the mind and the body workout, and I, I don't overuse too much of one over the other. <laughs> so you just want to do the physical and mental breakdown, not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Pace yourself yeah. a little. All things balance. Yeah. No, of course, absolutely. Yeah, I, I wanted to follow up on our last conversation with this uh, idea of capturing knowledge and information and. I, I sent you a, a text about this uh, interesting Substack newsletter that I subscribe to called Subconscious. I'll put a link to this one in the show notes. But it was I read this after our last episode, so it makes for a good follow up. Um, it was interesting. Is like the first line in it. Gordon Brander is his name who writes this, and he's writing an app called Subconscious, and it's a note taking app. And so he's kind of documenting the things that he's coming up with along the way, because how do you do a modern note-taking app? And I think that he's probably got an interesting take on that, because it's not just about writing things down, but it's how do things link to each other. And there's so many modern affordances to a digital note-taking, right, where where it's like you've got keywords and tags and links and all these things. So, so it makes it a lot easier to cross-reference things and track changes over time, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these different kind of modern affordances. But I think this this all plays into the idea of living documents. And in the the very first line in his newsletter this week is notes are conversations across time. He says this is more than just a poetic analogy, it's a shift in perspective that can be grounded in cybernetics theory and it yields a number of surprising design insights. So he's kind of thinking about this as a I think his context for his application that he's working on, but I think how it applies to us really falls into that idea of the living documentation living documents instead of, you know, PDFs or, or Word documents that get filed in a folder somewhere and forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And his whole premise is that you're writing something down now so that it can be referred to later. And the, the referrer who's going to be looking at that, it could be you, but it could be somebody else. And there's a layer of in- interpretation that happens there. And I think this this little newsletter article is worth reading because it makes, it kind of changes the paradigm around why we write things down. And you, I know you have some ideas about this as well. The interesting thing to me, because I think it starts to apply to sketching as well. When we're talking about notes, we're also talking about documentation. And that's how architects think through projects or figure things out. And there's verbal communication. So he uses the example in the note or in the, the newsletter about somebody thinking of a tree, saying the word tree to represent what they're thinking about the other person in the conversation hears the word tree and thinks about a tree and that those visuals do not necessarily match. We have one word 
I mean, of course, there's lots of taxonomy and all kinds of things that it could be. But if you just simplify it to the point of tree and hearing the word tree, we're both thinking of trees, but completely different trees. Right. So real quick, not to derail. No, please. What kind of tree are you thinking of? Because I, I know what I'm thinking of when you said tree. Okay, so I'm thinking like a, a giant redwood. Because I saw a picture of one earlier today in on Instagram, a friend of mine visiting the redwoods. So that's the first tree I thought of is this giant towering redwood what did, what tree did you think of a palm tree <laughs> because i grew up with two palm trees in my front yard that we used to like tie ropes across them and yeah. try to tight rope and all that other stuff and it was just even though i'm in an area where have deciduous trees almost always when i think of tree i'm thinking of those two trees in my old front yard yeah and so if we if we were to write this down because we're talking about something that we want to get out of our brain or, you know, memorialize it or build upon it later. It's interesting because it is com conversational in that way. And that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, it's knowledge is, is conversation with a future person who could be you, who could also interpret it differently at that time. Because at that point, you know, you're, maybe your subconscious has been working on it, or maybe you, the context is different and you interpret it in a different way, you know more. And, and so what you wrote down can be built upon. Okay. So let me ask you this. Does it talk about, or at least it, maybe we could talk about when you're writing things down, when you're note taking as a form of, of conversation, because I do this and this is why I'm asking when you're note taking, do you write notes that are specifically for you or do you write? Cause I have two trains of thoughts. If I'm writing notes that I want other people to see, yeah. I will write them very differently than notes that are just going to be for me. For me, it'll be kind of like key primers of memory jogging, mm -hmm. but it won't be like, you know, I won't expand upon the full thought. The full thought will be what I write down if I want you to, to read this and, and maybe even like take a little bit of the interpretation out of it. And more try to be very specific or detailed about the conversation that I want to have with you through these notes versus the conversation that I want to have with myself is completely different. It's keywords, tree. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I do the same thing. My notes in my notebook are for me, and I have a really hard time sticking with one method of capture. I, mm -hmm. I, have, I actually have three notebooks on my desk in front of me right now. <laughs> Yeah. And I jump between them all, and that's a total problem. And then I also have my computer, and I've got various note-taking apps. I use Notion for the most part, but I also have the notes, just the stock notes app. And then I've got like a separate to-do list. My notebooks tend to be just everything jumbled together. It's hard to find things later. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm more like writing it down to remember it because I feel like when I do write something down, I remember it better. Mm -hmm. And I rarely go back and look through, but sometimes I'm glad I've got it because if I need to, it's there. But I do I do write stuff down just for me for the most part, so it's kind of keywords. It might be a little sketch with no annotation. And if I were to do that for somebody else, like, I mean, this is a great segue into construction documents, right? There's two things going on with those kinds. You've got to have the ability to document the thing, but somebody else has to have the ability to read it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why change is so hard in our industry as far as deliverables go. I mean, that's one one reason why change is so hard. There's many other reasons. 
But one of the biggest reasons is because we'd have to train people how to read a new type of output. And right now, that's not our job. Our job is not to train somebody else to read our output. It's to provide the documentation. And I think that was also kind of a, a paradigm shift in my thinking in the last couple of days is just, this is a huge, huge thing. Because we've all agreed, we've set up this structure, and there's this general agreement about the process, and you can't change how somebody else absorbs and interprets your material without a huge amount of effort. Well, so I see a little bit of a difference between notes as a conversation versus notes as construction documents. But don't don't you think design intent is is what we're documenting, and that can be interpreted in different ways and therefore it requires a conversation? Well, <laughs> yes. So I might just, before even saying it, second guess myself a little here. Yeah, go for it. Because basically what I was, I was going to say is, is that when we are documenting things for construction, we're putting in design intent, but we're doing it in a design intent method of industry standard. So that at the very least, you know, we're trying to minimize those questions. We're trying to minimize that conversation and basically, you know, and basically say, this is the common general accepted way that the industry will do that. And this is why document sets have gotten so thick. Exactly. You stole that. I mean, I mean, I was literally going to say, it's like, think about the way that we went from, I've got some great, drawings for this beautiful church in Montgomery, Alabama, that one of the firms that I used to work for, uh, you know, I was making all of their blue lines for them to just kind of archive everything, pre-scanning and stuff like that. And the documents that they had for this very sizable church was 13 drawings. The 15-story medical research lab that I just put out just the drawings was somewhere in the neighborhood of nearly 900 sheets. Mm-hmm. And then of course the specifications, then of course other items like checklists for like lead and all of this other stuff. And so it's, it's interesting to see how the conversation through note taking or documentation has changed from leaving room for interpretation to you have absolutely no interpretation. You have to do it this way or as damn close to the way that I've like literally spelled out for you. It's interesting to think about how we've also settled on symbols to represent certain things. Everybody agrees. Those are the symbols that you use for sections and call outs and tags, keynotes, all this, all this kind of stuff. Uh, And that, that goes for the, the creator of the notes, but also the reader of the notes. And what else is weird about this whole process nowadays and why it's it's interesting to me that we're not actively all working towards a more modern solution for this. I mean, I know some people are, like we're talking about BIM as deliverable, but just talking about it because it, the roots go so far and wide and deep uh, that it's, it's, a, it's hard to change. But when you think about building a model and then slicing it up to represent it on paper so that it can then once again be built in the real world in the three dimensions that it came, those drawings were derived from. If you're doing it that way, if you're doing BIM, wow, what a, what a weird thing, right? Because paper output doesn't have, or, you know, PDF output 
can have this, but for the most part doesn't, it's probably a liability if it does have it, is interactive hyperlinking from one document to another. So yeah. we agree that these symbols mean something, but you still have to, by hand, go find that thing. And there's no cross-referencing ability beyond the ink on the page of what the keynote is to go look up in the the legend that then takes you to the specification section to find the thing like all that is done by hand and i know it's not all done by hand but this is how we've traditionally set it up so that it works like that that doesn't make any sense to me anymore at all like it it's like full stop it doesn't make any sense any of that right and yet here we are because you said the magic words earlier standard of care <laughs> this is what we've all agreed upon to be the deliverable and because these roots run wide and far and deep, it is so hard to change all of this. I don't necessarily want to go down that road with this conversation. I don't think that's what it's about. But it, it is interesting to think about us as visual note-taking through the right. process of drawing and communicating. That's our job is to communicate design intent and the way you want something to go together, ultimately to see that design intent realized. And there's so many layers of interpretation and different levels of ability to decode that encoded information. And it's happened over time. And I think, you know, you think about us as tool users and tool makers setting us apart from all other kind of species out there to be that, you know, people say it's the apex, right? We're the apex predator. Or, <laughs> but we can also tell stories. And that, that is what really sets us apart is that because there are other species that can make tools, there aren't necessarily other species that make tools to make tools, but then there's this whole storytelling aspect of it. And that's kind of what we're doing. This episode of the Arcuspeak podcast is supported by twin motions that we've made. Let's talk ArcViz technology powered by the near limitless unreal engine. Our friends at twin motion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider, immersing your client in a way that they'll love and, more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Seriously, it's that easy. You have to try it to believe it. So why not share your design with stakeholders and collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? I'm a huge fan of this. There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial for listeners of this show, which you can head to twinmotion.link slash arcaspeak to get your hands on. That's twinmotion.link slash arcaspeak. You know, it's interesting you say like the agreed upon form of communication, like with symbols and things like that. And was sitting next to my wife as she was preparing some newsletters to go out to parents for her classes. And she was talking about, here we are in the academic year three of being affected by this pandemic. And it just kind of like dawned on me. It was like, yeah, well, I mean, we are physical year two, but it's kind of like spanned through three different years of the, the school. So I was thinking about how that span has kind of affected us and how we communicate because we are visual learners for the most part. And we sit down and we're in a group, pull out some trace or steadily sketching over the top of other things, or we'll like pin up 
a bunch of stuff that was done in the computer, but sure enough, we'll grab a pen and we'll start drawing over the top of it. And it's interesting to think about like the form of communication because, and I think this might be the same quite possibly worldwide when it comes to architecture and architects communicate with one another, that there are very universal things that are like just this, this standard for how we say, it's just like, okay, well, I'm going to put a door here. And what Mm -hmm. do we do? We put a line with an arcing line and it's just like, okay, and this is going to be an elevation change here. And to show the elevation change, we either do one of two things. We could put, you know, two spot elevations on either side of this line that we're changing, or we would put the little step that indicates the elevation change and then just write in what we're we're talking about. You know, and it's just like all these different little things that we do to talk about how that is. And so, I mean, a lot of times if I were to say tree as I'm sketching, I'm being very specific about that. So I'm not leaving that open to interpretation. I'm basically saying, if I say tree, this is the tree that I want. This is the tree I want you to think about when I say tree. It's another layer of specificity, yeah. potentially. I mean, or or it's an abstract, and it is totally wide open. It, it's interesting, too, to think about this encoding of information to have a conversation with a future person as a note or a drawing. Right. Um, but there's also this process that we go through to just figure things out. A lot of writers, like I know this is true of myself, is... I might think very loosely about a subject, but as I write about it, I'm figuring it out for myself to not only express what I think and what I feel about it, but also to get to a finer point of what I actually think. That process of writing helps me do that. And for architects, that's also the drawing process. And this is a very circular kind of feedback loop within itself that happens over time. You are using this as a tool to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And and that could be just with yourself. I mean, this is something else that he brings up in this in this newsletter is that a conversation doesn't have to happen between two people. It can happen between all kinds of systems. And he says it can happen between yourself and a pencil and paper. He says there this is a quote, there is the person who draws and the other yet the same person who looks. And we've talked about this many times on the show. It's like we are drawing to figure things out. We're having a conversation with ourselves, but we're kind of having a conversation between two different selves. There's the one who's laying the ink or the graphite down on the paper, and then there's the other person looking at it and commenting on it. And that is going back and you're having a mini feedback loop session with yourself. You start to add other people to that conversation who maybe don't work like that. Maybe they're just watching, and then it's totally different because then you are kind of drawing it for other people to understand. Like you said, you've learned to draw upside down, right? To draw (laughs) so that they're seeing it from the way their point of view would be. Or you've talked about drawing using the markup tools in Zoom. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting thing to me and and kind of getting into this drawing as tool using. Yeah. But also as as we might draw something, scan it, send it to somebody, or draw it on Zoom overlay and have somebody interpreting it live on the other end. It's part of this conversation. And that conversation is not just between people, but it's also the documentation in itself. So what's interesting is, so like the article goes on further on that quote that you were talking about. It's like, my pencil loops once, my mind loops three times. Yeah. And you and I were kind of chatting you know, earlier about, well, And that's when you're having this conversation 
amongst you and your paper and your pencil and yourself. Now think about taking that one step further when we're having this conversation, especially when I was thinking about in these Zoom conversations where we're doing markup sessions and things like that, where an idea is put forth and then people start sketching over the top of it. And then there's just like this ever branching, ever reaching out kind of like notion of like these loops, you know, these mind loops of other conversations that are going on with themselves on how to like best interact with your mind loop. And it's just kind of a, an interesting to kind of take that, that, that thought. It's kind of fractal, like, like the Fibonacci sequence here. It's, it's, it is just branching and branching and branching and branching and branching. And, and what's interesting is some of those branches do come back and lead loop back in and inform a, a directional change. Wow. It's so, it is very complex. To, to go back to what we talked about on the last show about pulling in the old Marvel multiverse, then once that multiverse kind of like breaks off, then there's multiple like multiverses that then loop back around to like form. Here is now the new time stream. Here is the new th- train of thought of where that was going. It could have gone all these different directions, but as the conversation developed, as the conversation grew, and then there was kind of an agreement of that thought process, it now all of that stuff loops back in and creates another one, which then goes a little bit further down the road and probably branches out again and then just kind of keeps doing that. And then if you could just mentally graph out this multiverse or this just fractal procession of your thought, I mean, it would just be amazing. And it would probably be one of the most complex root systems that you've ever seen. Yeah. So I get the pushback on why a lot of people don't either want to do this or just don't feel like they can do this or don't have the time to do it. It's not a priority. It's because it is so hard. It is one of those things that it takes a high amount of intention and effort to accomplish and to make it useful for people later. But I think this is the kind of thing we actually have to do. There's no shortage of information out there. Everybody's bombarded with information every day, all day long, and it's distracting and it's hard to find what you're looking for and it's difficult to wade through. There's just too much of it. It's a weight and everybody can feel it. And at the same time, without structuring that information, we just keep redoing the same things over and over and over again. So we are actually stuck in that loop. We reinvent things day after day, project after project, team after team, because we don't take the time and intention to do the things that we're talking about. And that that is a this paradox that we're in. We could see the the benefit of it, but it's not valuable enough or pri- a priority to actually make it happen because I think like you're saying you're usually you're writing stuff down it, it's very different to write something down for yourself than for somebody else it's much oh, more yeah. Yeah. there's a lot more maybe involved or maybe we just think that there's a lot more involved even though that there's no rule about that it's true but you're trying to to let that information be as useful as possible so you do maybe have to spell it out a little bit more uh, and in order to do that it just takes more effort and time and that's not going to be for you so it's hard to justify it <laughs> right? I- I've been finding myself during conversations with team members in a lot of times, we won't turn our 
cameras on because, you know, we're just tired and, and haggard out and stuff like that. And so a lot of times I'll sit here and I'll talk and I'm like, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Or does this make sense to you? And it's almost like the way that I explain it in a conversation is the same way that I'm doing it in my note taking is just making sure that what is coming out of my mind is understood by anybody else that I'm talking to. Because much like the sketch, a lot of times, you know, I'm sketching things out to really understand what it is that I'm trying to say through that sketch with my paper and pencil. And I don't always assume that people understand what I'm putting down. Right. And and like chances are they're checked out anyway. Yeah. Because we have been desensitized to the amount of noise and information available. Yeah. So when somebody just starts talking and you know they're a talker, you tune out. Right. <laughs> or if somebody yeah. just starts doodling and we're having a loose conversation, like it's easy to tune out. And so when you ask that question, do you understand what I'm saying? Like chances are they're not even not even there, right? <laughs> like their mind's off somewhere else. And that's even easier to do now when we're not just three people standing around a table riffing. Yeah. I find it interesting is the response to that is some people will say, well, I'm not sure. Can you repeat that? Those are the ones who've checked out or weren't paying attention. And then there's others who will say, well, let me just summarize what I think I heard you say. Yeah. And then those are the ones that you actually sort of reached and are hoping that they basically can verbalize it in their own way what you were saying that may actually enrich what you were just saying, or at least just give me an indication that they were listening and, and understand what I was saying, or that I even made sense to myself. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's definitely a, a higher level of engagement there. If they're yeah. taking it and this is what I heard you say, tell me if this is right, and then re restructuring it through maybe their own interpretation. And then it gives you the opportunity to respond back to that and build on top of that. And that I think that kind of gets back to the root of this. Yes. newsletter article, which is about this idea of this recursion and this this riffing that happens either through verbal conversation or through drawing conversation or whatever. But it is a it's a it's a very real, very large issue in in our industry because I think we're I mean everybody feels the effect. Like you said, I'm there's there's just this general fatigue. And it, it could be Zoom fatigue, it could be tool fatigue, it could be talk fatigue it could just be mental fatigue because everybody's you know done with it and wow there's there's a lot fighting against this but there's also this huge need for this to actually happen this documentation so that people can move forward and get better over time and build on what somebody else has already done instead of reinventing it and starting from scratch it's interesting that you know in the article he also has this you know backlinks are the link to the future and I was thinking about the title of the last show of, you know, like, um, what was <laughs> moving past your past, moving past your past. Thank you. Gosh. Wow. So thinking about that comment about the backlinks are the link to the future and getting past your past, it was, is very similar to, because I'm not saying just move on from the things that you've learned, but more of like growing from the things that you learn to, kind of enrich and kind of grow the future, whether it's your future, somebody else's future or things like that. And so it's kind mm -hmm. of interesting that you're spot on that this is almost a, <laughs> this was a conversation that we had before we knew that this article was there. Right. <laughs> which is, which is pretty amazing that this happened 
at this time where it was almost like spot on that somebody else is having a very similar conversation and writing down their notes about how to have a conversation about these notes as conversations. Yeah, it, it's uh, it it was a it was definitely a shift in the way that I think about why we document stuff. It's not it's not yeah. just to document it and make it a one way communication. I think the way that this makes me think about it is that this is a a circular conversation with a future person that could be you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. It's really interesting. Cause yeah, like, I guess we started out talking about this. Sometimes we take notes for ourselves in a very different way right. than we, we write something down or document it for somebody else. I think my note taking lives by the field notes stance is if you're familiar with the field notes brand, their, their tagline is, is I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. And honestly, for me, when I'm note-taking, it really is about remembering it now. Yes, I'll go back and refer to it, but it also helps me reinforce what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And so when I get to the end of a, a conversation, I say, does that make sense to you? And somebody says, well, let, let me repeat back to you what I thought I heard you say. That's what I take notes about, is to just make sure I heard and understood what that person was trying to say so for me, even though I might just be writing instead of, say, a paragraph about what you just said, I might write key words of what you just said and kind of refer back to them to kind of like fire whatever synapses that triggers that memory of the conversation you just had, but in a way that I understood it. So I kind of like flow in this very kind of like not linear, but kind of zigzag pattern of, mm -hmm. of thought. And so that every time I hear somebody talking about like note taking conversations, I always, for some reason, remember that quote from field notes and just how I justify the way that I take notes, that, <laughs> if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. It, it, and I, I, the reason that I do it, I, 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 I think I feel similarly about it. I'm just writing it down to reinforce it and it yeah, helps yeah. me remember it later, even if I don't go back in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely people you notice in a conference room who are who are writing notes down versus the people who are not. I think that right. it, it is a different level of engagement. I think I tend to see people who are not engaged fall into checking their phone for stuff and looking for distractions. And it's just a but but people who are taking notes seem to be a lot more engaged in what's happening right then, right there. And they're a little more present. So and I don't want to fall down a rabbit hole here either but you know sometimes that's true and then sometimes i find that like if i were taking notes so if i were an intern that was tasked to sit in a meeting and take notes at whatever stage of knowledge i was at i was probably taking notes verbatim to what was said mm -hmm. not understanding what was said mm -hmm. versus later on when i'm taking notes like I'll take notes on meetings where I'm the one doing a lot of the talking, but I'm just like, again, writing down those like keywords, those primers of memory jogging versus real detailed things. However, I bet that I could probably, and again, this comes from experience and just maybe just the way my brain works, is that I could probably write as comprehensive of meeting minutes with just those primer words versus somebody who basically wrote the whole thing down verbatim. Yeah. You might as well just record it at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting now is that more more and more people are open to that. I used to record back in the day, and people were very adverse to it. Yeah, and I'm like, look, all I'm doing is just recording this so that I can write the meeting minutes, and I just want to record it. I'm like, look, I will throw it away. This will not be used against you in a court of law. That's exactly how I felt. Is like they're going to say something that you know might come back to haunt them. I'm like, no, I'm just going to. I'm all going on record. And I will say that there are times when I basically just said, all right, fine, I'll just write down. But, you know, this meeting is going to go a hell of a lot slower or something like that versus, versus, you know. Oh, and there's new tools out there that make it, uh, like they'll automatically transcribe things. They You can pull snippets out by highlighting text. It creates a short snippet of audio or video or both. Uh, It's, there's some pretty fantastic stuff out there. And I think people are more open to it now just because everybody's scared to death of this too, but you're being listened to everywhere all the time. There's microphones on everything. So it is it is kind of a tricky situation to be in, but it's also I think a lot more normal for people. So it's it's, it's lies somewhere in there. Well, you know, I mean, like we record every one of our meetings now when we're on Teams or on Zoom, depending on you know the type of meeting and everything else. We'll just record it mm-hmm. because it'll make it easier. It'll be the easiest form of documentation that we've ever had, and people are becoming a little bit more. It's like oh. Because I'm doing this so often, I'm not going to remember everything. I mean, we're, we don't have the happenstance kind of like conversations and stuff walking past somebody's desks anymore. We have these four scheduled conversations. So we're having so many conversations that I don't mm-hmm. remember what the hell I talked about, you know, <laughs> earlier today. I don't even remember what the hell, you know, this conversation started off with, <laughs> but I have a recording of it. <laughs> 